Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we are glad for your goodness and grace. We thank you that we are privileged to be a part of your church. And we thank you that it is by the work of Jesus Christ that this comes about. It's a wonder as we contemplate that fact, Father, and we thank you that you've been pleased to save us out of the world which is fallen and to bring us into your church and to connect us with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that it's on the basis of what he has done for us specifically. And so we praise you that this is the case. So as we're together this morning for a short time, we ask that you'd be pleased to bless and strengthen us. Teach us from your word, we ask, and give us your grace, we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little, uh, just a little review as to uh, where we've been. Uh, we started out with the fact that uh, uh, the church is the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 6.16. I keep going back to this text and, uh, I, uh, because I think it, uh, it is an important text uh, where the Apostle Paul uh, says to us specifically, we are the temple of the living God. And so the construction that we've been working on is the fact that the church is connected to the Old Testament temple and that our pattern for worship comes from the temple. And this is not always realized the way it should be. Often even in the scholarly literature, the connection that's made uh, is that uh, the church uh, and its worship is patterned after the synagogue. And uh, uh, last week we looked uh, at that a little bit. And uh, uh, this is true in part, uh, that some of the elements of worship uh, come from the synagogue. The preaching of the Word and uh, prayer and certain blessings and benedictions come from uh, the synagogue. Uh, other elements of worship come uh, from uh, the temple, particularly the element of praise. And uh, as I indicated uh, last week, uh, there was no praise in the synagogue. Uh, uh, the synagogue was a, a teaching institution. And uh, as you may remember, the uh, Levites were scattered throughout all of Israel. They were not given a particular plot of land, but they were sprinkled like salt throughout uh, the land of Israel. And uh, part of uh, their task was to teach the people. They were teaching priests. This was, was their function. And uh, so the, uh, uh, this was the genius behind uh, the synagogues. And uh, uh, otherwise, uh, worship is patterned after the temple. And uh, you recall that uh, when you uh, entered the temple, uh, you uh, came to, uh, the people would come first to the altar, uh, indicating that uh, they were sinful and the, that 
uh, there needed to be a sacrifice for sin, and then they would come uh, to the uh, laver, which was a, a great big bath. And as I've said uh, before and say again, it's not a bath that people got into, uh, but it's a bath from which water was drawn uh, for uh, cleansing ceremonies and indicating that not only was there a need for a sacrifice for sin, but there needed to be cleansing from that sin. Sin needed to be paid for, but individuals need to be cleansed from sin. And then uh, there was entrance into the holy place uh, and uh, then into uh, the most holy place. So there was a kind of a sequence. There was a way of approaching God. And the, and, uh, the most holy place uh, where... Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was found, uh, was the earthly uh, presentation of God's throne. So this was the earthly throne of God, and, and there was a systematic way of entering into God's presence. And in the Bible, we don't find an order of worship, uh, but we get the idea of uh, an order of worship uh, from this idea of entering into uh, the presence of God. And uh, so, uh, several years ago, uh, our synod had a committee on worship. And uh, this is uh, basically an order of worship that this committee on worship for our synod uh, proposed uh, uh, to uh, the churches, that there would be a call to worship, and uh, you can see... Uh, that uh, uh, the Bible does uh, indicate to us that that there are calls to worship. Psalm uh, 100, Psalm 95, encouraging us to enter into God's presence. Uh, Matthew 11, uh, Jesus saying, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden." And uh, then, then an invocation, uh, which is a prayer, and uh, this would be a response to the call to worship. Uh, how we respond to uh, the call of worship, that we would uh, invoke God's presence. And this is the idea of an invocation, that we would invoke God's presence. And in Exodus 33, Moses uh, says, uh, Lord, if You will not go with us, uh, there's no reason for us to go anywhere. <laughs> you must go with us. And uh, so th- this is uh, our prayer, that uh, God would be uh, with us. And when we come into God's presence... Uh, there's uh, a salutation. And uh, 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 Second Corinthians, it, it actually should be Second Corinthians there, uh, 6, uh, 16. Uh, uh, listen again to what it says. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell uh, in them and I will uh, be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. <laughs> this is the tremendous thing. Come out of the world and into worship. And this is the idea of the text. And God says, I will welcome you. Praise God that this is the case. And so this is the idea of uh, the salutation that God uh, welcomes you. And He says to you, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we would respond in praise. And one of the texts is Hebrews 13, 15, and another text is Colossians 3, 16. And I want to look a little bit more thoroughly at Colossians 3, 16. So a way of responding then to God's greeting is we give praise. Then there would be a reading of the law. And let's look at Acts uh, chapter 13, uh, the, the text there, Acts chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Acts uh, 13, verses 14 and 15. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to... Yeah, well, I started at verse 13, didn't I? But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, say it. And so, this idea of reading the law. And this was part of... Uh, the synagogue service for sure. And uh, after reading the law, uh, often there's a, a confession of sin. And uh, I don't know if you've discerned this or not, but, but often we, we have done this. Uh, there's been a reading, a, a scripture reading uh, that uh, sets forth uh, God's commandments for us. And I think last week, uh, Pastor James read from Exodus 20. And then we respond with with a psalm, and it might be a psalm like 51, where we confess our sins, or a psalm like Psalm 32, where we confess our sins. And then often after the confession of sin, and and as I remember last week, our pastor did this. There's assurance of pardon that God says to you if you do confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we hear the, uh, this Word of God and uh, we may respond with praise again. And uh, then uh, there would be a Scripture reading and preaching and uh, a response with praise. Uh, we come and, and bring our offerings and uh, we, we uh, would pray for uh, the uh, things of the church and the things of the world. Uh, you notice uh, the uh, uh, change that our pastor has made uh, in uh, the evening worship, that often we've done uh, the preaching early on in the worship and then come to prayer uh, uh, toward the end of the worship. And this, this is the idea here. Uh, prayer and then praise and then uh, a benediction where uh, God actually commands uh, the blessing of the people uh, in uh, Numbers uh, chapter six. So this is a this is a pretty standard uh, order of worship, and uh, uh, God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. This is part of the idea, and uh, part of the idea of worship is that we come and meet with the living God that we have an encounter with Christ. This is the genius behind living 
or behind uh, public worship uh, that we do meet with God. And uh, uh, the elements of worship are prescribed in Scripture or uh, we understand uh, by understanding uh, properly the Scriptures uh, that these are proper elements of worship. And uh, sometimes we get hung up uh, in this way, that uh, we have proof-text-itis. We want a chapter and verse, period. And uh, it's difficult often uh, for us to uh, think through the implications of Scripture properly. Uh, Listen to what uh, chapter 1 and and, uh, paragraph 6 of the Confession says. It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added. So, by good and necessary consequence is deduced from Scripture. Not willy-nilly saying, well, here, I'm going to connect the dots, and we have no reason for connecting these dots. But through a thorough study of Scripture and seeing how the pieces of Scripture properly fit together, we may deduce certain things. All right? And uh, th- this is important uh, for us to understand. Uh, we want to be thoroughly scriptural. And uh, th- this, is, this is part of our objective, to be thoroughly scriptural. But we don't always have proof texts. And so part of what we d- need to do is to learn to think biblically. <laughs> and this is not always easy because there are many competing forces uh, that, that we have. Now, uh, last week, I said to you uh, that part of the procedure in uh, the temple was this, that uh, the Levitical choirs would stand uh, in uh, the temple uh, before the altar. And uh, when the signal was given for the sacrifice to begin, the temple choirs would sing. And it was David who introduced psalmody and instrumental music into uh, the worship of God. Uh, that, that was not uh, something that Moses did. It, it was an innovation that uh, David brought along, and it was brought along by the command of God. And so when uh, the sacrifice began, the temple choirs would sing, and they sang along with the sacrifices. And uh, the instruments of accompaniment were uh, harps and lyres. They, they were actually instruments of accompaniment. And there were two other instruments that were utilized in the temple. There were two silver trumpets that were... Uh, ordained under Moses, which were blown over the sacrifices. And uh, 
as we get further into our class, I'm, I want to talk about these instruments uh, a little bit more and the significance of these instruments. And then the other instrument was uh, symbols or a gong, a big symbol hung maybe that you would strike with a with a, a mallet. And uh, uh, when the high priest gave the signal. Uh, the trumpets would sound and over the sacrifice and the gong would be struck or the cymbals would be struck and the sacrifice would begin. And the trumpets and the cymbals were not instruments of accompaniment. Just the harps and the lyres were. But the harps and the lyres would sing, would play and accompany the Levitical choir as it sang. And when the sacrifice was over, the choir would stop. And as I say, there was no singing in the synagogue. And I'm following Alfred Edersheim and others. And Edersheim, who is a Jewish scholar, Christian, is pretty emphatic about this. And uh, I could give you some other evidences of this, but he says there is, there was no singing in the synagogue. The element of praise comes from the temple. Okay, that's the idea. The singing of psalms in the temple. So uh, we're going to have to examine that uh, a little bit more. Uh, but one of the questions that arises now. You see, I've already alluded to this, that if the sacrificial system is abolished with the coming of Christ, Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, He sets aside the first, that is, the sacrificial system, in order to establish the second, that is, the sacrifice of Christ, if the sacrificial system is abolished, see, and this would include everything that goes along with it, the instruments and the psalmody and all of that, the question comes then, well, why, why do we continue to sing in New Testament worship? Right? So, so that would be a question. And the reason is, that we are commanded to do so. Okay, so uh, here's one of the places where we find the command: Colossians chapter three, and verse sixteen. And uh, so this is where I want to spend a little bit of time. Uh, Colossians three, and uh, verse uh, sixteen. And uh, first of all, I've got it in uh, the New American Standard Version. And then I want to read it to you in the English Standard Version. This is Colossians 3.16 in the New American Standard. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart. So, the basic command, this is why I have the diagram on the board here. The basic command is, let the Word of Christ 
dwell within you richly. That's the basic uh, command. And uh, if, if you look at 1 Peter, uh, keep your finger there in Colossians uh, to nail this down uh, just a little bit. Uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 and 11. Notice, notice what Peter says here uh, about the Spirit of Christ. Uh, he, he begins in cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 10, uh, he's speaking about salvation. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them Who was working in the prophets of old? The Spirit of Christ. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicated as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Who was it that inspired the prophets of old? The Spirit of Christ. And so what this is telling you is, that uh, this uh, this word uh, that we have is the words of Christ, and uh, uh, understanding that this is the case, you, you see, this is the only word that that uh, written that Paul had, and he's saying uh, to us, "Let these words of Christ." Richly dwell within us, right? This is his basic command. And and then in Colossians, he's giving us two ways in which we can do this. Uh, you you notice what he says here? Let the word of Christ dwell within you, uh, dwell richly within you teaching and admonishing one another. How is it that you're going to let the Word of Christ dwell within you? Teaching and admonishing one another. These are participles. Verbals. I-N-G words. (laughs) Right? And they're adverbial. And what this means is, they tell us how we let the Word of Christ dwell within us by teaching and admonishing one another. This is how we do it. Using the Scriptures. So there's a command here. You follow me? There's a command here. Little doubt that there's a command here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. What does Paul mean by teaching and admonishing? He gives us a hint in the first chapter in verse 28. He says, We proclaim Him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom as we present every man complete in Christ. He's giving us a hint as to what 
teaching and admonishing is. It involves preaching. We proclaim Him. It involves preaching Christ. It, it involves the proclamation of Christ. And it's almost, uh, it's almost exactly the same language as the Apostle Paul uses in Colossians 3.16. He changes uh, uh, the order of the words slightly. Teaching and admonishing every man in all wisdom. Right? Here he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. See, It's the same concept. And so, what this involves is our preaching and our teaching. And this is what we're doing right now, right? This is, this is our activity. Thank you very much, Lord. <laughs> this is cool. See, we're, we're involved, we're involved in following this command. Praise be unto God that this is actually the case. Okay, now, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a second way in which we can let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Not only teaching and admonishing one another, but in our singing. How do we let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us? One of the ways is in our singing. This is the grammatical construction. So singing turns out to be a way in which we let the Word of Christ dwell in us. Uh, this is a way, our singing is a way in which we uh, follow this command. Fulfill this command. And so, uh, our praise when we come together in worship is one of the ways in which we follow this command. You can smile, it's okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good deal. It's a wonderful thing. Now, uh, I want to read, some of you have the English Standard Version. And uh, the English Standard Version reads a little bit different than uh, the New American Standard. Uh, the English Standard Version follows uh, the New International Version. The uh, New American Standard Version follows the King James Version. But the English Standard Version is, is, is slightly different. And, and listen to it now. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, what, what the uh, English Standard Version does is connect psalms and hymns and songs with singing. And uh, uh, in the original language, uh, what's happening is, why there's a difference, is that uh, the phrase psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is actually in between <laughs> teaching and admonishing one another and singing. And so you have to make a decision as to where psalms and hymns and songs goes. Is it attached to singing or is it attached to teaching and admonishing one another? So, so 
you're, you're making a logical choice here, is what it amounts to. Right? See, usually, songs go with singing. Usually, that's the case. Sometimes you read songs. Uh, but usually, songs go with singing. And so the uh, English Standard Version has chosen, and I think this is the, this is the correct uh, choice, this is the, the way to properly understand the text, is that, that uh, uh, psalms and hymns and songs goes with singing. All right? So if this, is the, if this is the proper way to understand the text, and I think it is the proper way to understand the text, here's what's happening. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is the command? The command is to engage in preaching and teaching. And it's pretty striking here that the Apostle Paul is not as specific when he talks about preaching and teaching as he is when he speaks about singing. Follow me? In other words, he's, he's not saying here specifically what we're to teach one another. He's already spoken about that in the first chapter. We're, we're supposed to preach and teach Christ. This is what we're to do. But now, he's, he's packing things in a little bit more closely. And he's telling us what we are to sing to let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. Follow me? Alright. I, I see a nod or two. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. Command, how do you do this? In part, singing psalms and hymns and songs. Alright? This is the command. Now, what this comes down to then is, what does this mean? <laughs> right? What do psalms and hymns and songs mean? And that's where the debate is. Unquestionably, this is where the debate is. Well, that's easy for me to answer. Psalms are the psalms in the Old Testament. Hymns are, well, just go to any church and there's a hymnal. Hymns refer to uh, these things that we sing in church regularly. Right? Obviously, this is the case to the most casual observer. And songs, spiritual songs, refer to choruses and, and charismatic songs uh, that uh, musical groups sing and, and uh, this sort of thing. Obviously, this is the case. But wait. This is putting a 20th and 21st century meaning to the words on the first century statements of the Apostle Paul. Is the Apostle Paul uh, uh, thinking about hymns like, How Great Thou Art? Is that what the Apostle Paul is thinking about? I don't think so. See? Is the Apostle Paul thinking about, about choruses like, My Jesus, I Love You? Is that what he's thinking about? Doubtful. 
So you have to go back and you have to ask the question, what does Paul mean by psalms and hymns and songs? This is the question you have to ask. This is always the question you have to ask when you're interpreting Scripture. What does the Apostle mean? What does Jesus mean? Not what we think the Apostle means from our 21st century perspective. What does he mean by psalms and hymns and songs? And it turns out, it turns out, that in the Bible, often, the word hymns is used to refer to psalms. Okay? And the word songs is also used to refer to psalms. Okay? Let me... Uh, let me give you a couple of references here now. First uh, Chronicles six. So you have to go back in the Old Testament. First Chronicles six. First Chronicles is a very interesting book because First uh, Chronicles uh, uh, was likely written after the captivity. And uh, it has a view of things from after the captivity, and it has a view of things with regard to worship and the temple uh, that First and Second Kings does not have. It's not a repeat of First and Second Kings. Uh, it has a different emphasis, and uh, the emphasis in Chronicles is on uh, the priesthood and on worship. Uh, this is what the emphasis in Chronicles is. So, uh, First Chronicles, and as I said last week, I'm always the guy that's last. I would lose the sword drill beyond doubt. First Chronicles chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. Okay, this, this is just a text now that uh, that shows us uh, the uh, ministering of the of the people and, and David's appointment. And uh, uh, notice notice how it it's put in verse thirty one. Now these are those whom David appointed over the service of song. The service of song. Well, what was the service of song that David appointed? Songs. Songs. This is the service of song that David appointed. Okay. First uh, Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16. Uh, let's, let's look at uh, verse 7 in First Chronicles 16. Uh, then on that day David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Uh, with what did Asaph and his relatives uh, give thanks? 
What did they use? Well, now we have a sample in verses 8 through 36 of what they sang. And if you look at this, you may see this in the margin of your Bible. These are excerpts from various psalms. They sang the psalms. And you can see this in the side reference of your Bible. These are excerpts of particular psalms that were sung. And verse 42. With them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord... Uh, because his loving kindness is everlasting. And with them were Hamath and Jeduthun uh, with trumpets and cymbals for those who should, should sound aloud uh, with the instruments uh, and the sons of Jeduthun uh, for the gate. Uh, so uh, they sang uh, in the temple and uh, they sang uh, psalms in the temple and what we already saw earlier in First Chronicles 6, uh, that these songs are called songs. Well, that, that's not too difficult for us to understand, is it? That they sang these songs. Second uh, uh, Chronicles 29. 2 Chronicles 29. And uh, verse 27. Uh, then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. What was the song that was sung? It was songs that were taken from the Psalms. This is the idea. And we see this from First Chronicles 16, that this is the case. Okay. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. Ezra, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. This is the new technology, you realize that, don't you? It's called book. It doesn't need a battery. You don't have to plug it in. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring to them uh, bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs uh, to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. See? This is uh, the worship of God now as it was designed by David. See? And what did they sing? What does it say? Songs and hymns. See? What were those songs and hymns? They were psalms. They were designated by David to be the psalms. 
and, and so what I'm arguing is that the words psalms, hymns, and songs refer to the psalms of the Old Testament. Uh, 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 let me give you uh, another reference. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 72. And it's actually the end of uh, Psalm 72 that I, I'm interested in. Uh, Psalm 72.20. Psalm 72.20 in the English versions says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it reads, The hymns of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. In other words, all of the Psalms in these first two books of the Psalter are designated in the Greek version of the Old Testament as hymns. And so, uh, the standard argumentation is very simple, actually. The standard argumentation is that psalms and hymns and songs refer to the psalms. And if that's correct, if that's correct, What David is commanding, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? By singing the Psalms of the Old Testament. Follow me? That's the basic argumentation. Now, now here's another piece. Uh, Grammatically, That's helpful. This construction here, three nouns put together with two connectives, and and and, psalms and hymns and songs, is what's called an hendiatris. Don't you love it? I love it? Hendiatris. Which means three words connected with and referring to one thing. Three words referring to one thing. Here, here's an, another example of uh, the hendiatris. John fourteen six. John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is not speaking about three different things here. Jesus is speaking about one thing the way into heaven. He says to the disciples, you know the way. Thomas comes back and says, 
but we don't know the way. <laughs> and Jesus responds by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. <coughs> Jesus is saying to the disciples, I am the true and living way to the Father. He's not talking about three different things here. He's talking about one thing. That's, that's the idea of the construction. And this is the idea of the construction here. Paul is not talking about three different things. He's talking about one thing. He's talking about the Psalms of the Old Testament. Now, I, I read you uh, a little piece from the Confession uh, earlier. And uh, I said to you, uh, we have proof text-itis. Show me the proof text. And it's not always that easy to show the proof text. We have to begin to think biblically. And this is, this interpretation is the interpretation that has been held for centuries. In fact, it's very striking. Uh, some of you will remember this. The first book published in the United States of America was the Bay Psalter. Right? It was a psalm book. And guess what text appeared on the title sheet of that first book that was printed in the United States of America. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, the companion verse. What did those folks believe? That the psalms and hymns and songs that Paul talks about referred to the psalms of the Old Testament. And if this is the proper exegesis of the text, Paul is commanding us to sing the Psalms. Okay? That's the command. Okay. More to come. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, You're good to us in every respect. Better to us than we deserve. And we pray, Father, that as we have the privilege of entering into Your presence with thanksgiving and into Your courts with praise, that we will let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us, listening to the preaching of Your Word and singing from our hearts these songs that You have been pleased to give us. Bless us to this end 
that we might grow in Your grace. We pray in the good name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.